as we're talking about life with Jesus, many of us at different points, and you might feel this kind of prominently right now, or maybe you have felt this at other times, but many of us want to have a deeper faith. We want to kind of um, take things maybe more seriously at some point in our life. And, and that might get expressed in different ways. You might kind of think of it as, I really want to know the Bible more. Or you might think of it as, I, I really want to kind of have deeper community. Or I, I talk to a lot of couples that are getting engaged or getting married and say, we really want Jesus at the, at the center of our relationship. Or for those of you that are pregnant and uh, beginning or just having kids and saying, okay, we're having kids now. We really want God to be the center of our family. And um, it might just be that you are kind of turning over a new leaf in life and say, I really want to take my faith more seriously now and begin to obey God more. Or maybe it's kind of, you feel it more in a, a passion kind of way where you feel, I really want my faith to mean more and, and have a sense where it's really connected and I feel alive or to have a more sense of purpose with my faith and, and not just be about me. There, there's a lot of different ways that that might express itself in our minds, but many of us either feel right now or have felt at some time, I want a deeper faith. I want to kind of take it more seriously. Some of you maybe are just coming back to church or just investigating Christianity. Maybe some of you online, that's the case with you, and have kind of come back to church and realize it was never really kind of my own thing. It was maybe my parents' thing before and something I just kind of did, but now I want to really take things seriously. I want a deeper faith. And if we can have a, a deeper faith, that, that is great. I mean, it affects every part of our life. How, how could it not? I mean, if God is the most powerful, most loving, most wise person that ever has been, ever will be, to have a deeper faith is to have more of him at work and active in our life. So how could that not change everything? How could that not be something that we desire and want? It's, it's a beautiful thing to, to want, but what we're going to look at today, it's a very interesting story, very interesting interaction that Jesus has with some people where he speaks to those that were the most serious about their faith. He speaks to those that wanted their faith to be deeper than you and I want it to be. He speaks to those that took their faith more seriously than, than any of us probably and did it better than us. And yet he warns them of several dangers that are present with that. They were the most serious about their faith and yet they missed out on life with God. They missed out on joy with God. They missed out on God himself. And if we're not careful, this can happen to us. If it can happen to the people that most took their faith seriously, then it can happen to you and I. And it led to them, it led to them losing out on what God had for them, but it also led to them hurting others. It led to them hurting others, which can happen to us as well. And this passage helps us deal with the dangers that are kind of uh, job hazards, if you will, of taking your faith seriously. This passage deals with the dangers that are inherent and present anytime any of us says, I want to kind of go deeper. I want to take my faith to the next level. I, I want to be more serious about this. It, it deals with the dangers that are present in that. And so if you've ever desired to begin again and say, I want my faith, I'm kind of just beginning and I want to have a deeper faith, this is helpful to, to start off on your journey. Or if you are maybe someone that's not a Christian and just kind of exploring things or Again, coming back and investigating, you might resonate with what a lot is said here because it may have been what hurt you or what uh, caused you to leave in the first place. And for those of us who have been Christians for a long time, this is actually maybe most relevant to us because it is the tendency or the drift for many people that are good, regular, church-going Christian people. And so if that's you maybe most relevant today for us. We all want to go deeper in our faith and the benefits of that, and yet there are dangers that Jesus wants to warn us of. So 
We're going to look at the beginning of this passage, and then we'll just kind of go piece by piece as Jesus lists out several dangers. So here is the beginning part, Luke 11. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee, these are the religious leaders, asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. This is the verse that you, you know, mothers and fathers can use for your, your kids. Be like, see? Or I guess that the kids could use. See, Jesus didn't wash his hands before dinner. I guess that would, that would work. But let me explain this situation. Jesus is invited to dinner at this home, at the home of these religious leaders, the people that took their faith very seriously, and he doesn't wash his hands, which isn't just because, you know, Jesus is, doesn't like to wash his hands. It's he's intentionally setting up a confrontation. He's intentionally, you'll see this as we go through this, but he's intentionally setting up a confrontation with these people to help us see and to help them see the dangers that religion kind of has inherent within it. He's setting up a confrontation as a teaching moment. He wants them to see the dangers of religion or a deeper faith or taking our faith seriously. The Pharisees had a custom where they would wash their hands before dinner or before a meal. And it wasn't really, it didn't have to do with um, kind of bacteria or things like that. It had to do with them as symbolic of we've been out in the sinful world around all sorts of things that are unclean, and now we are going to clean ourselves and remove sort of the effects of sin. So it was a ritual that they had, not one that was prescribed in the Bible, not one that the Bible gave. And so Jesus isn't breaking any of God's commands here by not participating, but he is breaking their rules that they took very seriously, which is why they were astonished that someone like him, a Jesus, a religious teacher who took his faith seriously, wouldn't adhere to this principle. Jesus is using this as a moment of confrontation to reveal the dangers to warn us of what happens when we actually want to take our faith seriously. And here's the next part, which is really the key of what he wants them to see. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. Jesus says, here's the key issue. Here's the key issue, and and Jesus is going to list out from here six different warnings, but they all flow from this. They all flow from this idea that one of the tendencies that we have when we, when we say we want to get serious about our faith or we want to have a deeper faith, one of the tendencies that we have And the longer that you've been a Christian, or the the more seriously in some ways that you take your faith, the more that you might be prone to this, it is to focus on the outside and miss the inside. That's the key. That's the core. Jesus will list six different things that kind of flow along with that, and it would be helpful to assess which of these is true of me. Where, Where does this ring true? Where does Jesus want to warn me that this might be present? In my life. But the key is focusing on the outside and missing the heart. It was around um, Halloween time. We had gone trick-or-treating with our kids. And uh, we had a a bag uh, full of candy on top of the fridge. And it said, it was from Sprouts uh, Grocery Store. And it said on there, I don't remember exactly what it said, but it said something like, good, healthy, living inside of this bag or something like that because you know it's supposed to be like yes you got all these great fruits and vegetables when you went shopping and my son kind of looked up and was like that's not true that's funny you know I was like yeah it's a good that's kind of like a dad joke you're you're getting prepared son Um, or let me give you a more graphic illustration not to sick you out but maybe it'll help stick with you you ever been sick and uh, you have a bowl next to the side of the bed because you might need to you know, release some fluids, some, you might need to puke, right? I'll just say it. I don't know why I'm like, you know, you might need to vomit. And you've got a bowl next to the side of your bed. 
And then, when all that time kind of goes by, what if you came over to my house and you knew I had been sick and maybe it had been a week and, and then I served you some popcorn and I had spent a lot of time cleaning the outside of that bowl and it was just shining and polished. And, and then as you're eating your popcorn, you're noticing some stuff in there. Like, I cleaned the bowl. I cleaned the outside. I made the outside look, I mean, you've never seen a nicer bowl than in your whole life. But inside, it's disgusting. Inside, it was extra stuff with the popcorn that wasn't butter. Jesus says, here's the core. You clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside, full of greed and wickedness. Now, that's the core problem. That's the core issue that any of us that want to take our faith seriously could tend towards making the outside look great and being really concerned about everything externally and do a great job at that and yet miss the inside. And Jesus is going to give us six different dangers that kind of flow from that place. So let's reflect on these together. What are the religious dangers that Jesus warns us of? Here's here's the first one. Missing God's priorities. Missing God's priorities. Here's how he says it. And these all kind of begin with woe, which is like be aware or this is dangerous. He says, but woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe, that's give, a, give 10%. That was one of the rules in, in God's law. In the Old Testament, we see that God prescribed that his people would give 10% of their income. And it says, you tithe, mint and rue and every herb, and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done, tithing, without neglecting the others. Missing God's priorities is the first danger that Jesus warns of. He, he says, you're obeying what God has said. God prescribed a tithe, and you are obeying. And, and he doesn't condemn them for that. Some of us look at God's rules sometimes and say, oh, those are bad or those are legalistic. That's not what Jesus says. In fact, Jesus says, you should do this. You should obey God's law. He says, you should have done these things. But here's the problem. They chose which things to do and which things not to do. They looked at their life and they said, we're going to tithe our income. And you know what? We're even going to go beyond that. We're going to tithe our mint and our rue. I don't even know what rue is. I couldn't even tithe it if I wanted to. I do have mint, but I I don't think I have rue. And, And Jesus says, okay, you're being as scrupulous as it gets in what you've chosen to obey. And listen, this can happen to us. That the longer you're a Christian, the more that you can kind of develop a Christian view around various things. And the more that you can kind of work out in your mind what it means to obey in certain areas. You can think about and have a passion about what it means to kind of have a Christian view or obedience around media or technology or uh, what you take in and and how you use your speech and even around schooling and and how should Christians think about schooling and raising kids or a Christian view around uh, study and how how much should, what, what should I read in the Bible and how should I do that and and even just various ideologies as you go through life you you begin to say what's a Christian view about politics or what's a Christian view about how uh, society uses our money, and you might have certain things that you think are Christian and certain things you think are not Christian in ways that you're trying to obey. And Jesus says, okay, that might all be good, but what if you are being very scrupulous in obeying in some things and yet miss what God says is most important? What if you are obeying in the way that you use your speech or in the way that you take in media or you've got the right Christian view about certain things, but you miss what God says is actually most important. You miss loving God. You miss justice, which is caring for those that are oppressed and marginalized and the poor and the broken. And in in the Bible, it often talks about the orphan, the widow, the immigrant, What if you miss all of that? What if if we are very obedient in certain things and say, see, 
I'm good. And even go beyond where we're tithing the mint and the rue and, and being very scrupulous. And yet miss what God actually says are his priorities. Look, this is a good question for us to even think about. When, when you think about what it means to be a Christian, or if people were to describe you and your faith as a Christian, would it mainly be is what's most prominent. They love God and they love people or that they're working for justice in their sphere. They love God and they care about justice. Is that what describes us? I know that when I was a, a bartender and a waiter, sometimes people would cuss around me and they, oh, I'm sorry. Like, is that what mainly describes you as a Christian? What does it mean that that person's a Christian? Oh, he doesn't cuss or something like that, you know? Is it mainly these sort of peripheral things? Or would people say, you know what it means that that person's a Christian? They love God. and They care about justice. You see, we could be very serious about our faith and it could lead to some of these little things and yet miss God's priorities. Because if we're operating from the inside and not the outside, we're saying, I want to really know God and obey God and love God. So we bring our heart to God and say, God, what matters to you? But that only comes if we're operating from an internal standpoint. This is the first danger that Jesus gives to us that is good to reflect on if you want to get more serious. Getting more serious should ultimately mean loving God and caring about what he cares about in the world. Second thing is loving recognition. Loving recognition. Here's how Jesus says it. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. He says, you love it when people, when people see you and recognize you. Think about this, that we could do all the right things. We could serve here on, on Sunday and at church. We could serve in the community. We could serve in our workplaces and work really hard to be a good worker. We can obey and follow all of the different rules that God has for us. We can pray. We can encourage people and be a really thoughtful friend. We can do all the right things, but need recognition, need people's appreciation, need people's respect. What does that show? That shows really we're thinking about the outside. Really, we're doing these things out here and we do it, we're doing it to be seen. We want people to recognize it. We want people to thank it. We want people to appreciate it. We want people to respect it. We want people to honor us and give us the great seats and say hi to us. We, we want to be recognized for our deep faith, our religiosity. It's not coming from an internal place that the doing the thing is its reward in and of itself. We need the recognition. This is hard, right? I mean, who doesn't want to be liked? Who doesn't want to be respected? Who doesn't want to be appreciated? Who doesn't want people to say, man, that's so cool that you did that? Or that's, wow, what a, a servant heart that you have. Or that's so great. Who doesn't like that? I mean, when he says about the Pharisees, you love the best seat, who's like, I want the worst seat? No one's sitting in these seats right here. These are the worst seats, right? Who, like, it, it used to be the front seats were the best seats, but in church, it's like the back seat, you know, those are the best seats. Who doesn't want the best seat? Who doesn't want to be, everyone is recognizing you in the marketplace and saying, man, we're so thankful for you. Man, you're so great. Good job on this. It's so good. Who doesn't want that? That's hard. This is a, a difficult challenge that Jesus gives to us, but when we're operating from an internal place that says, I want to serve because I love God and I love people. I want to serve because I actually care about serving. I want to serve at church or I want to lead in some way because I actually care about these people, not because I want to be thanked, appreciated, I want to send a text encouraging someone, not because I want them to think how, encouraging, how, how much of an encouraging person I am, but because I just care about them. 
I want to tell someone I'm praying for them, not because I want them to say, oh, do you know so-and-so, man? They're always praying for people. But because I want to pray for them. I want to send a thoughtful card, or I want to, I mean, all of these kinds of things. We just have to check our hearts and say, am I doing this to be respected? Am I doing this to be recognized? Am I doing this to be thanked? Am I doing this to be appreciated? Or is it actually coming from a place in my heart because I love God and I love people? This is the second danger that Jesus gives to us. And even in this, listen, God's heart is he wants to free us from the trap of always wondering what people think of us. I mean, wouldn't that be liberating? To be freed from the trap of always wondering, do they appreciate me enough? Do they respect me enough? Do they see what I did? Do they care what I did? He wants to free us from that, to, to serve and love just to serve and love. Third thing he gives to us is leading others astray. This one's a little different. It's not necessarily something that we do intentionally. The Pharisees weren't saying, now let me lead someone astray. But Jesus is saying, this is the result. This is the effect. Here's what he says. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. In their culture and according to the Old Testament laws, touching a grave, because that's where death is, touching a grave would make you unclean. Touching a grave would make you unclean, and so you really had to make sure that those graves were marked. You wouldn't want there to just be kind of a, a patch of dirt or a patch of grass or, oh, there's a nice little stone. I think I'm going to stand on this and then go, whoops, I'm unclean. You would want to make sure it was marked. And Jesus is saying that here's what's happening through the Pharisees, that they are unmarked graves, meaning that the people that follow them are standing on a source that is unclean, even though they don't know it. And Jesus is saying that because you are living this way, because you are caring about the external and missing the internal, anyone that's following you without even knowing it is unclean. Without even knowing it, they are actually on a path to death instead of a path to life. Sometimes we can look at our life and say, it's just me, it's just kind of my own personal faith, or if I kind of want to live my life this way, or if I want to view God this way, or if I want to do things this way, it doesn't really matter, it's just me. But that's not true. Our faith, and listen, again, this is for, for anybody, but really I want to speak to those of us that are, that are trying to take our faith seriously, that are trying to go deeper in our faith, he says, be careful. Without even knowing it, you may begin to harm other people and their faith. As a pastor, I talk, and I've talked to many of you, I've, I talk to people all the time that say, I grew up in a really legalistic home, or I grew up in a home where it was all rules, or I grew up, and it does harm. It does lead away from God. It does actually lead to death. Sometimes the more serious we take our faith, the deeper, and if it's all just concerned externally, it's not just us that affects. It affects our kids. It affects those we lead. It affects those that we minister to even just in our lives, those that we work with, and what we are showing to them of here's who God is, here's what faith is. Really get your outside together. He says it damages other people, not just us. He gives these three warnings to the Pharisees. And then, I love this, the scribes, or this will translate it as the lawyers, which weren't just kind of, you know, people that worked for, um, you know, the, the prosecutor or defense. It wasn't just people that were DAs. Th these were people, when it talks about lawyers, that were experts in the law, God's law. So really, they were seminary professors, theologians, people like that. And they say, they, they're hearing him say this to the Pharisees. And one of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. As if Jesus is going to say, Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't, I didn't realize that. Would you forgive me for, I, you know, I, I guess I'm, I, maybe you're not all that bad. Let me undo my woes. 
But Jesus says, oh, oh, you, I forget, the scribes, you'd like to talk as well. And so he says this. And he said, woe to you lawyers also. And that guy's like, crap, why did I say anything? <laughs> For you load people with burdens hard to bear. And you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. This is the, the fourth religious danger is creating our own rules. This is very common. The lawyers had added many, many, many rules to what God already said, to what God already revealed. Now, to their, to their uh, benefit or to speak charitably of them, the reason they did that was because if God said, don't do this, then they said, well, let's back it up five steps and say, don't even get close to that. And so they are trying to add multiple layers of laws to protect from disobeying. But the effect of that, whenever we create our own rules, is exactly what Jesus said, that it burdens people, it crushes people. And Jesus said, you don't even help. They're experts, so they are able to figure out the loopholes. They know, okay, well, that's not actually what the law says, so if we do this, then we can get around it. And you are burdening people with all of your extra rules that God didn't create while simultaneously not even lifting a finger to help them. Instead, there's no compassion. There's no care for people burdened by the law. You're actually even walking around it and finding a way out of it. Because you've got the, the intellect and the expertise and the ability to fandangle your way out of it. There's no compassion. There's no care. There's no love. There's just burden. This happens anytime we create our own rules. And in an effort sometimes to not dishonor God, we actually push people further away from God. In an effort not to dishonor God, we actually distract people from God because all they can think about now is the distance, is the laws, is the burden, the crushingness. They can't actually think about God himself. Now, this is easy. And again, I think the longer that we're Christians, the more tendency that we have towards this. It's easy to make our preference of how we live out faith or Christianity, it's easy to make our preference God. It's easy to make our preference in faith ultimate. It's easy to make how we view things the way, the Christian way. And then if other people don't follow that path, they're not in. They don't count. This is a good word to those of us that are parents, to those of us that are leaders. Or to those of us, maybe we don't have other people that we can impose rules upon, but we just kind of judge and assess people through this lens. It's easy to make our preference of time and how it's used. This is the good way. This is the God way. It's easy to make our preference on clothing or language or alcohol or music or politics or friendship and what that should look like or church and what that should look like. It's easy to take all of those things and say, here's how it should be. But really? We oftentimes live with so many rules that are man-made, not God-made. We live with so many rules that become a burden to ourselves and to other people. Question to ask yourself is when you are offended at people's actions or beliefs, or even some, you know, I, I gave a small little sampling of things, but it could be all sorts of things. When, when you get offended, whether it's explicitly a faith sort of thing, or it's just kind of what's happening out there. How much of that is you are offended because you're brokenhearted that people are dishonoring and disobeying God, or because it's not the way you think it should be done? Is it something God has actually said, or is it just a difference? Is it just a difference in a way of thinking, and a difference in personality, and a difference in another way to try to honor God? Another way to just live and be? Or is it offense over what God has actually said? It's easy for us to be upset 
or offended. Sometimes, listen, sometimes the, the longer you've been in the faith, the more offendable we are. And we even think to take offense means we're holy in some way. Like that the most holy person is always the one that is super offended by things. The, the, the most holy is the one that, I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you did that. Wow, that must be a very holy person. They see something's wrong with everyone. And Jesus is saying, you're creating burdens that are crushing people. And you're not even willing to lift a finger. There's no compassion. You've created your own rules. Listen, I love that Jesus calls this out because what it reveals about God's heart is God is not a God that wants to crush us. Sometimes I think when we think about God's word, when we think about the Bible even, and we think, man, that's a crushing weight. All these things. But Jesus has repeatedly said things like this or to say, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Come to me, all you who are heavy laden. Come to me, all who are weary and receive rest for your souls. Over and over again. I'm not saying that God doesn't tell us things. Yes, God has a law. So the answer isn't lacks up, just kind of, yeah, just kind of do what you want. That's not the answer. The answer is listen to what God actually says, not man-made rules. Now, we have to be careful to know what God actually says and not just call everything a man-made rule because that might be a tendency that we have as well. But what Jesus is saying here, what God's heart here is this. He wants to free us. He wants to help us. Even in the, the laws that he has given us, his heart is he wants to help us. He gives us his Holy Spirit to actually empower us, to convict us of sin, to lead us into righteousness. This is the fourth, or the, excuse me, yeah, the fourth uh, woe or danger that Jesus gives to us. How much of your Christianity is your own rules? How much of your offense is your own rules? How much of your um, frustration about things that you see in people's lives or the church or other Christians is your own stuff? Next, he says this, honoring an idea. This is a bit longer of one. He says, Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. The prophets were people that listened to God's voice and spoke God's word, particularly in the Old Testament, several books that are written by the prophets, and God would raise up the prophets to speak to his people. But most of the time, they were killed by God's very people and often by the religious leaders or the political leaders, which were really intertwined at, at that point. But he says, woe to you, you build the tombs, meaning they're erecting these monuments to the prophets. You build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses and you consent to the deeds of your fathers for they killed them and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation, the judgment. Honoring an idea. Some, what they did is they built these memorials, but at the same time, they had the same heart that their their ancestors had rejecting God's word. And what Jesus is saying really is this, and again, another danger that we can experience. We can admire past heroes. And I don't know who that is for you. Maybe it's Billy Graham, or depending on how theological you are, if there's certain authors that you've read, and, or maybe it's Martin Luther King Jr., or maybe it's Charles Spurgeon, or maybe for those of you that grew up in certain kind of churches, Martin Luther or John Calvin. There's sort of heroes that we can have of the faith and honor them and admire them and maybe even have their books on a shelf, but not actually even listen to what they taught. Now, I think for Christians, the most easy way to do this is with the Bible itself, with Jesus, 
It's easy on Christmas to sing songs about Jesus. It's easy on Easter to, to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. It's easy to wear a cross around our neck. It's easy to even you know, post a nice little Christian thing on Instagram or Facebook. It's easy to have a Christian plaque on our wall that says faith, love, hope, or in this family we serve the Lord, or you know, it's easy to use the prayer emoji. It's easy to honor all of these ideas of faith and Christianity. It's easy on the external. Back in the day, to wear a WWJD bracelet. It's easy to honor externally an idea of Christianity, of faith. And yet inside, we have a heart that isn't actually listening to God. They built the tombs of the prophets, but rejected the voice of the prophets. They build monuments and put energy into this external show, but their heart was not a heart that said, I want to listen to you, God. It's easy to make an external show of things, to pay tribute to something, to pray at funerals and weddings and thanksgiving, to, to pay tribute to an idea, but not actually have a heart that says, I love God. I love his people. I want to listen to his voice. God actually wants us to not just have a bunch of external markers and show that we honor him on holidays or with external observance. He wants us to actually hear his voice. How sad would it be if we had all these marks of external honor and tribute and yet didn't actually listen to the voice of our loving Father that wants to lead us and guide us and speak to us. Jesus said, this is a danger that we can develop. And then finally, the sixth one is missing the heart. Missing the heart of it all. Jesus says this, Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. And as he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. This little speech that Jesus gives is really one of the things that pushes towards their assassination plot towards him. He says, you've taken away the key. You didn't enter yourselves and you kept other people from entering. The key or missing the heart which means this, they, they lived in obedience to much of what God said. They taught what God said. These were the students, these were the, in some ways, the pastors, the religious leaders, the people that took their faith most seriously, that most wanted it to be depth, to have a, a depth to it. And yet, they missed the key. They missed the heart of what God's word, about what God's revelation is all about, which means that they missed it. They didn't actually experience what God wanted for them. He says, you didn't enter in, you missed out. You missed out and you kept other people from entering in. So it had an effect on you where God wanted you to experience life and God wanted you to experience joy. And God wanted you to experience actually knowing him and what his heart actually is. And you observed all of this stuff externally and missed it. And you kept other people from experiencing it. What a sad thing. What a sad thing would it be to go our whole life externally being able to check all the boxes. Tithing our mint and our rue. Someone needs to give me some rue so I know what it is. But tithing your mint and your rue observing all of these extra rules. Well, I mean, what, what a sad life to do all of that and for Jesus to say, you missed it. You missed the key. And you actually lived in such a way that you kept other people from experiencing it. This can happen with us. Where if Christ, What is Christianity about for you? What's the heart of it for you? If it's being a good person, Jesus would say, you missed it. If it's obeying God's law, he would say, you missed it. If it's family values and, and having a, a family that is strong in this culture, he would say, you missed it. If it's religious observance and kind of being able to 
you know, make sure you have all the right uh, traditions and all of that, he would say, you missed it. If it's a certain view on politics and if it's a certain view on differentiating yourself from those around us, he would say, you missed the heart. You missed what I really wanted to bring you. If, if it's even just God, generically speaking, I believe in God, I trust in God, I, I believe in God, he would say, you, you missed it. If it's study and learning the Bible and being able to really master your theology, he would say, you missed it. If it's pet projects you have, certain things that you care about and have passion about, he would say, you missed it. I don't want any of us here, I don't want myself to, to be serious about our faith, to, be, to want to go deep in our faith and miss the key. This is what Jesus said happened to them. Think about if you were to be going on vacation or going somewhere and go to an Airbnb, let's say, and you arrive and maybe it's a beautiful place. Maybe it's gorgeous. Maybe it's overlooking the mountains or overlooking the sea or something beautiful, right? And it's, a, it's an amazing place. And you get there and you stand outside of the door and you go, all right, we made it. We're here. And you just kind of unload your bag and take out your pajamas and take out your, your book and just sit on the porch of the front door. And inside is this beautiful place. In the back porch is a view of a lake and a mountain. There's a fully stocked fridge, like all Airbnbs do. <laughs> There's, I don't know, it's beautiful. And you go, we made it. And you just sit at the front door. And you don't have the key to actually get in. That's what Jesus says. He says, you missed the key, and so you couldn't enter in, and others couldn't enter in. You say, this is it. This is our family vacation. We're hanging out at this door. Jesus says, you're, you're there, but you miss the heart. You miss the key of what this whole thing is actually about. Jesus wants us to come in and enter into the Airbnb, to walk in and fully experience his salvation. He wants us not to be on the outside, but to come in and all that he has said and all that he has done actually get to live in it. The key to knowledge is God's word rightly understood, which is all about God's salvation. All about him sending us a savior that the world is broken and that God created an amazing world. And it's broken and sinful and God has come to redeem it and save it. And so the key to knowledge is salvation. In, in John, the book of John, Jesus says to the Pharisees, you study the scriptures because you think that they will give you eternal life, but you fail to realize that they are testifying about me. Jesus says it's all about me. All of it is meant to show you God's salvation his love to redeem us and save us. Without that, you might be so close and yet so far away. Right at the door and yet not being able to experience and enjoy it yourself and not being able to bring other people in. So these are the six dangers that Jesus warns us of, but I want to just go back to the beginning and be able to answer this question, which is how do we avoid the religious dangers? What, what is the path to deeper faith? What is the path to taking our faith more seriously? Because many of you, as I've said, have probably, you can resonate with maybe both sides of this. You might be able to resonate with, I've kind of been legalistic and have been someone that is doing all of these dangers. And if you can't recognize yourself in that, I would be very weary of your self-awareness. But maybe you've also been someone that has been crushed by these things. You've been the recipient of this. Most of the time, we're probably some blend combined. Here's what Jesus wants to help us with, because it's easy to slip into all those dangers. And like I said, the longer we've been a Christian, the more dangerous it is. And let me say this too. Often the corrective to this, as we look at that, the corrective is either, yeah, see, that's the problem. 
The problem is just religion and the problem is it's not about rules and you don't need any of that stuff and it's not about obedience and it's not about God's law and you don't need any of that. That's not what Jesus says. That's not what the rest of the Bible says to us. It's not to just kind of get rid of, of all of that and to lax up and, and ease up. That, that's not the answer. The answer isn't just be true to yourself and, and just do what you want to do and where the answer isn't, yeah, yeah, it's all grace and none of this really matters. That's not the answer. Here's what Jesus says. And it's this phrase that is a little interesting, but he says this right at the beginning when he was pointing out the core that they make, they clean the outside but not the inside. He says, give as alms those things that are within and behold, everything is clean for you. Now, giving alms is like giving money to the poor. And it would be a religious duty that people took very seriously, were very intentional about doing. It wasn't just kind of like, oh, I've got spare change. And it was, it was a very intentional activity. And Jesus is saying, give his alms those things that are within. Which is to say, take the inside of your heart and offer that up intentionally, thoughtfully, sacrificially. Take the inside of your life and offer that to God. Take the inside of who you are. Not, not the outside, not making everything outside look good. Take the inside, offering that to God. And that affects everything else in your life. Behold, everything is then clean for you. How you approach the way that you serve, how you approach God's law and how you obey, how you approach thinking about the own rules that you make for your life, how you approach God's word and the prophets, all of those things become affected when you take as what's within and say, God, I care about offering this to you. One, I care about what's inside. And two, I'm offering what's inside to you. That is how we avoid the religious dangers. What if, what if we spent as much time thinking about the inside as we do the outside? I mean, what if, what if you spent as much time thinking about what is going on inside of your heart and offering that to God as much as you did thinking about your appearance, how much time you got ready in the morning, how much time you think about what other people think about you and your email and your text and how much time you spent sleepless nights wondering what they're going to do or what they're going to say. How much time you thought about kind of having a successful image. How much time you spent with all of the external things. What if we paid as much attention inside and said, God, that's yours. That belongs to you. It's a British pastor, J.C. Ryle. I love the way he says this, commenting on this verse from the 1800s. I'm going to grow this beard out pretty soon. I like him because he looks like Gandalf. And he says this, Give first the offering of the inward man. Give your heart, your affections, and your will to God as the first great alms which you bestow. And then all your other actions proceeding from a right heart are an acceptable sacrifice and a clean offering in the sight of God. Give your affections, give your will to God. Come to God and say, this is yours. My heart, what I love, what I want to do, my desires, my goals, all of this belongs to you. That's internal. That's paying attention to the inside of the cup, not just the outside of the cup. We all want a deeper faith. We all want to take our faith more seriously. And the, the longer you're a Christian, the, the more I hope that that develops within you a desire to say, I don't want to stay where I am. I do want to grow. I do want this to go deeper than it is right now. But often that means a focus on the outside. And then we miss out. And we lead others to miss out. How do we get a deeper faith? How do we, get, how do we actually get more serious? The answer that Jesus gives to us is that we must offer the inside to him. And listen, if you're not a Christian, it's the same thing with you. 
This is both the beginning of your faith and the continuance of your faith is to continually bring the inside of your life to him so that we are living inside out. It's not that the outside doesn't matter, but it's that we live inside out. So here's what I just want to encourage us to do as we begin to enter into a time of communion. Practically, it means this, to confess. If you're a Christian, and maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, confess where you have either paid attention to the outside and missed the inside, or confess where, like the Pharisees, you have led other people astray. Maybe it's your kids, maybe it's friends, maybe it's people you lead, it could be all sorts of things, but where have you been more concerned about the outside of the cup and missing the inside? I would bring these things to God, confess them to him, and then offer your heart, just like J.C. Ryle said, offer your heart to him. Take, take a moment and pray and say, God, I, I want to give you the inside. I don't want just a religion of faith that is an external reality. I want to give you the inside of me. I want you to have not just my performance and not just my obedience. I want you to have me from the inside out. I want to give you myself and all that I am. And whether you are at home or you're here, take a moment and maybe, maybe your Christianity, maybe your faith has been all external. Tell him that's not what you want it to be. Tell him you want to give him the inside, your heart. And then as we go on in our week this week, be aware of your heart. Be aware. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Be aware of the times that as you're living, you go, oh, I'm just actually looking for recognition. Oh, there it is again. I'm making my own rules. I'm creating burdens. Ask the Holy Spirit to make you aware where we are honoring an idea, operating from an external reality, missing the heart, so that we continue to bring our heart to him. When we take communion, we're remembering Jesus' body broken, his blood shed, and part of what got him killed was this. Part of what got him killed was saying that he wanted more for us, that he came to free us from sin and to free us from a religiosity that was an externalized reality. Jesus Christ came to this earth and he died on the cross to forgive us our sin, but also to free us to free us from a law and condemnation that doesn't belong to us, to give us rest for our souls. He wants us to live in a joyful relationship, covenant with him. Imagine if that's what deeper meant. Imagine if when we as a church and you as an individual talked about getting more serious and deeper about your faith, it didn't just mean these things out here, but it meant I want more of my heart to be given to God. That's what he desires for us. So I'm going to pray for us and would invite you to take this time to pray, and then we will respond in singing a few songs. Father, I thank you that you gave to us Jesus and that you do not want us to be crushed with an external religion. You want our hearts. You want our hearts. And you gave us your heart. You gave us everything and, and you want everything for us. We thank you, Jesus, that you came to free us from the curse of sin and death and the law in a way that we could never fulfill, but that you lived perfectly for us. You lived the life that we could never live, and you died the death that we should die, and you raised a life that you now give to us. And I pray that you would allow these truths to go even deeper into our heart as we take communion and respond in song. Amen.